Jeff, I am back sitting in my normal office chair with my actual microphone. It has been a while since we've recorded in this fashion because yeah. it's my it's my last night of paternity leave. Been haven't been haven't worked in six weeks. And so wait, you have to go back to work tomorrow? Yeah, they put it in the computer wrong and there's a bunch of stuff scheduled. And it was just like uh, it was I said like I said that eleven three would be my last day of leave mm. and, and they, they put it on my first back. day back and then there's like a whole bunch of meetings because you know things happen when your company gets acquired a week into paternity leave and so there's yeah. a lot of stuff and i was like uh, whatever um yeah that's brutal. i have a few things and then i was like yeah, actually starting on friday is maybe not the worst thing because then there's a whole bunch of crap at the beginning of next week but so i can use like friday to just go through my backlog of random crap that i gotta look through i have, I have to do all have to finish up my budget and submit all my tool, all my budgets for next year anyway. So I was like, I'll just do it. Crank those out tomorrow. I had paternity leave once I had taken a job. How long did I have? I can't remember if I had four or six weeks, but I had a reasonable amount of time, but I had taken the job and I had worked there for two weeks and your benefits kicked in immediately. And so I like, let them know I was upfront about it of like, Hey, I'm going to start. And then I could have a baby on like day four. And they were like, okay, well, your paternity leave will be approved. Like, huh. So I worked for, I don't even think it was two full weeks. I think it was like a week and three days. And then baby came and I left for six weeks. It's kind of a weird thing. And then my wife got sick of me being home after like one week. So I played a lot of golf for five weeks. Then. That was nice back when, you know, your back didn't hurt so much. Yeah, now it's, I'm a little older. You only had one kid. It's right. A little older, I mean, a, little, it, a little fatter. Yeah, you really, you almost, you don't really need paternity leave for the first one. It's it's no. the subsequent kids when you're just like, you shut up so mom doesn't kill all of us. That's what yeah. it's like. You just, just let them sleep. You are just yeah. like, just, you are too freaking loud right now. That's all yeah. I've been doing for the last you know, for the last and then six weeks, but that just stays, I think forever. I don't think that ever goes away. Cause like my youngest is five and I'm still just now hurting the three of them. And like, Hey guys, just shut up and let mom have a nap. We're, we're going to die. So like, just stop. That's true. I don't it think it ever goes away, but, but it was, I mean, it's, it's been good wrapping it up with Halloween. Uh, should I be concerned that apparently my, three-year-olds two favorite movies now are nightmare before christmas and frank and winnie we got a three-year-old that's heavy heavy into tim burton films yeah, at a that young is, age that's something i don't know what that is i don't know if that's a red flag i don't know but it's something i, think, I kind of think it's a green flag i mean it's he said <laughs> he likes all the movies that are not scary but just the ones that are spooky so i guess okay. that's i guess nightmare before christmas is just spooky but it's yeah. not too scary but Halloween was was good. We basically tailgated in our front yard. Great I way to that. do it. Cool. It was fun. Had yeah. a bunch of people over. You know, got the grill out. Had you know, had a little fire going. Left the left the grill going after we cooked dinner. So some kids stopped and get hot dogs. Had a bunch of drinks out for the adults going by. You know, it was. I had to flex on. Had to flex on the neighborhood. You know, be in the yeah. house with the full size candy bars. And I had Jeez. a projector. You know, had the projector up. We had Game Four of the World Series playing. But then that turned into a horror film in the first inning. So then we had to, then we just cut it over to a movie. But it was, uh, it was a good time. Uh, I did not see anybody dressed up as Connor Stallions. 
in the infamous no. Connor Stallions. And no. if you, we may have a listener or two who are not familiar with the name Connor Stallions, but I feel like if you, if you are listening to this show, you're yeah, probably into college football enough that you got to know. Yeah, he's the spy, the spy from Michigan, who's literally dressing up in opposing teams clothes and finding his way onto the sidelines, which seems crazy. But I, I'm here to tell you, if I put on a the right, if I happen to find the right act like blue, you blue Nike, Nike BYU polo, I had my Nike shoes on, you know, I go down and in like some royal blue, you know, ones or something like that, that would be like a team issued looking shoe. I'm pretty sure I could walk onto BYU sideline and nobody would blink an eye. And that's not a me thing. I think most people could probably get away with that. Although I did hear, so I know it Lavelle Edwards stadium this year, they've like got the metal detectors, like kind of more of an actual security check. So I heard that that was required by the league. Yeah. um, That they had like some standards of like, we want security standardized across the league. So yeah, maybe it might be a little tougher this year because they're going to be a little more on edge just with that and trying well, to, I mean, they're, they're people, looking but... for guns. They're not looking for fake. Right. But I, like... yeah, it's true. But I mean, they may actually have somebody like more than a there... student who doesn't care standing yeah. at, the, <laughs> at the stairs. If you get there early enough, I don't think anybody would notice. Like, that's the thing is like, if you're there early, even okay. High school, I get it. It's high school. It's different, but hear me out. Uh, we'll show up to do a broadcast like super early, right? Before the ticket booth is opened up and ready to roll. And you just walk onto the field. You just walk on, start talking to everybody. Nobody blinks an eye. Nobody thinks twice about it. You're just there. And they have gates. They lock all this stuff off. Like they don't want just random people there. But if you're there early enough, nobody thinks twice about it. And I think... The same principle probably applies for college football. Have you seen the guy on TikTok that like he's just walking onto stadiums at like random? Have oh, you seen yes. this guy yet? Yeah, he's like driving around and he just yeah. tries to walk into the stadium. And and he's gone to like every stadium in America and he just walks in and he goes and sees if he can get onto the field, if he can get into the press box. And 99% of the time he gets where he wants to go. Like there's not very many things. I mean, think about it. How How can they realistically lock up a giant field it just doesn't work yeah. that well and so i think you could get away with it maybe not now i think connor stallions kind of ruined it for everybody and they're going to be more aware so, but well i want to know is like the other schools that are involved with this so there was the i mean because it was obviously going on it just there's so many layers to this like one uh he might be the only person who's written a 60 page manifesto that has not been a mass murderer. Yeah. What a psychopath Two, It's like, he had like everything about every, like including the GPAs of every football player at the Naval Academy. That's weird. And it's like, (laughs) then he's going in, he's got this thing. Somehow he gets involved. Uh, He was taking payments over Venmo from people. So that was still public. So he deleted his Venmo account. Uh, yeah, obviously he was on the central Michigan sideline, which so I want to know is like, is Jim McElwain involved with this? Because Jim McElwain was the receivers after he got fired from Florida, he was the receivers coach at Michigan until he got hired at central Michigan. So, and that was, he was there that season stallions was doing his thing because it was reported. Like people saw him on the sidelines of the Michigan Notre Dame game in 2019 when McElwain was the coach before he went over to 
Central Michigan. Oh, weird. So did he, you know, was McElwain like, oh, yeah, like, screw Michigan State. I hate them. Yeah, you can come hang out on the sideline for our game while we're playing Michigan State to get figure out their science. While you got the right bands with the built-in cameras, got the, like, the Google Glass, whatever, yeah. filming it from field level. So it's this thing has so many layers, but apparently the only season under Harbaugh that he did not do this was 2020. And that was the season Michigan sucked. And they were talking about firing Harbaugh yeah. and they magically turned it around again. Well, as soon as this Connor Steins is Connor think, Steins, the brains behind the entire Michigan football. He might be man, because like, it's not quite the same as baseball, where if you know what pitch is coming, you're that far ahead. Like it's not quite yeah. the same. Michigan can still, you can know that it's going to be a run off the right tackle, but you still got to stop it. Like that's what Deion Sanders said. But like when you get to a certain level, if you know what's coming, you're ninety percent of the way there. You still got to yeah. stop it, but stopping it is only ten percent. It's the right play call, the right getting your guys in the right spot, the chess match. Like that's 90% of what makes football great. And if you remove that 90%, like this is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Well, and there was supposedly to the story that came out about um, TCU switching up their signs for the Fiesta Bowl to because they had heard other coaches had reached out and heard them. And so here's the press like, why have other coaches not spoken up about this? Because everyone's doing it to some extent. Everyone's they don't want to they don't want to implicate themselves. Yeah. And you no coach will ever there's a certain level of like fraternizing that happens, you know, like they're all going to the AFCA coaches convention next, you know, two weeks after the national championship, going out to the bar together, trying to find their next job. They all know each other. They're all fine with each other. They well, don't want to rat out their friend and they they want to do it like Harbaugh. Why are you going to rat out Jim freaking Harbaugh and screw over Michigan? Like that's a right. blue blood job. This is not like it's oh, yeah we played you know Kent State and they are they are cheating. I don't care about Kent State. Whatever you know this is yeah you're not you know if it, if BYU was doing this people would be like okay yeah because they don't care about ever trying to want to work at BYU, but you know yeah. most of them and so it's so Michigan being a destination program that's a factor. But it's you know I've also seen people say like well why don't they change up the signs. Like you have a month between the Big 12 championship game and the festival to rework your signs. Like that's, it's not, you know, it's not a like, oh, we can change this every week. Cause if you change it, I mean, look at BYU, we got our offensive line running two different plays half the time this season and we're all on the same page. Let alone changing the play. And I mean, that really, if you want to talk about changing the signs, flipping it up every week, that, that was like the Ed Lamb special last few years of, Let's, I mean, I know it seemed very simple and what they tried to do on defense was very simple, but it was very simply changing every single week. And there was no actual assignment mastery because it was like, well, we showed this last week. So we got to tweak it and do this different this week. And we're going to redo build the entire thing to try to keep everyone on their toes. You get too fancy. You keep yourself on your own toes and then you fall. These are kids, man. I mean, like these aren't professionals that can dedicate 12 hours in a day to learning signs because one that's their job and they know they're going to get 5 billion dollars at the end of it like that th these are college kids man like they don't have that kind of time or investment into that stuff so yeah it's just not practical but I i've seen a couple of coaches matt rule i think was one of them um i can't remember who but the the coaches who are speaking out as very vocal advocates for 
microphones and headphones or in helmets. Like those are the ones that, you know, like, I don't know that there's sign stealing like this because those are the ones that are like, yeah, the, the easiest way in the world to get around this and not have to deal with it is to just let technology be the communication. Like let do it the same way the NFL does quarterback gets headphones, whatever, whatever they're called in his helmet. It cuts off when the ball is set and that's how you get your plays in. All of a sudden, all this sign stealing stuff is a complete non-factor. I did yeah. like though, before we change gears off of this, did you see Lincoln Riley and a couple of others? I, I think it was, I can't remember who it was. Some national writer that uh, said Utah is well known for doing this on the West coast. No, I mean, that does not surprise me. I, it doesn't surprise me either. Frankly, makes me that like upset that BYU isn't trying to cheat a little bit more to get ahead. Yes. But also doesn't I mean, was me. the other common complaint that, Oh, that, that Utah is always is notorious for, uh, you know, Sit for the snap to count. Sim- simulating the snap count, which it's like, okay, if that's true, why are we not doing that? That's yeah, the, why like, are if, more, if, huh? if they are, if it is causing problems, but the ref is not calling it, then you should be doing that every yeah. single play. The only like Kalani and co do you follow the speed limit everywhere you go? Because if the answer is no, then why are we not cheating a little bit more in football games? Yeah. I mean, that's really what a lot of, I mean, people talk about with like there's holding, holding. You can talk to any offensive line coach. They coach you to hold. Yeah, it's holding I mean, all the it's time. It's the only way you hold and grab as much as you can, and you let go if the guy is getting separation. And that's why you should, as long as you are on him, it's fine. You're not going to get called because in the and that's still the case. Is the only holding penalties you see get called are when the dude is turning and like you see a hand on a shoulder and a jersey stretch as he is moving away from you. But as yeah. long as he's not moving away from you, you will never get called for holding. What are the your five top Halloween candies? Mm. You know, old school. Okay, let me think. This is... Did that this be in top. order? Uh, you don't have to be in order. You can just give me your top five in some order. Mm. So the I always liked the candies that you didn't really get during the year, right? Okay. Like like if someone gives you like okay, well you, you okay, get like let, a me, full let size me back Snickers. up. Let me back up. Just five candies then in general, not necessarily oh. just Halloween. Dude, I don't know. That makes it way harder. It does, but I'm there's curious. really anything that's And maybe, maybe really, out. really what I'm asking, where do Almond Joys and Mounds fit on the list for you? Ooh, okay. So this is controversial as I ate all of the Almond Joys out of my kids' oh. candy because they decided, well, they liked the coconut part, but did not like the... Uh, did not like the almond part. And it's also choking hazard at their age. Almonds are just the right size to go down the little kid's neck and get That's stuck. That's true. Well, um, I really like them, but I do not go out of my way for them. And do you like mounds I, too? I mean, mounds are the same. Except I guess it's dark chocolate with no almond, right? That's the only yeah. difference. So, and a bounty, I don't know, they, do they sell bounty bars in the U.S. or is that only European? I, I don't think they do. I've seen them, but I don't think they do. Um, so bounty bars, they sell them in Europe. I 
Assam all the time. Our mission, it's like just like an, an almond joy. So I like coconut. So I do not go out of my way. Like if I'm ever in a gas station or like a grocery store checkout, I would never ever buy an almond joy. But ever. If no. Ever. But if I'm like at the doctor's office or somewhere and there's like a candy bowl that's like, take one if you want one, and there's an almond joy in there, it's like the the little the little bite that I have like three times a year. That just oh. it's it's a, the change of pace. I met a friend and her favorite candy is mounds. No, if that's your favorite candy, you are a psychopath. Yeah. If if mounds or almond joy, but especially mounds, if that's your very favorite candy, I question your 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 parents. I question your spouses, your kids, your whoever, everybody around you that has allowed you to live such a life that mounds are what brings you happiness. Like for me, mounds, it's really like down to like money ball stuff. Like there's all of the other candies and then there's 50 feet of shit and then there's mounds. I would rather eat actual shit than eat mounds. And I like coconut, but that's not real coconut, man. Those are like, that's like a coconut. That's like a cotton ball that has been dipped in coconut milk and then dried out, and they put it inside dark chocolate, and are like, oh, mounds, here you go. It's awful. Everything Uh, about it. That is certainly one way of putting it. Um, I mean, yeah, I can't remember the last time. You know, next time I go to a gas, next time I go to the, when I go to the gas station to get my drink tomorrow morning, uh, I'm going to buy an Almond Joy, or I'm going to buy mounds just for you. I don't even know if you'll be able to see it. But like, if there are kids, and I am like, thank goodness nobody handed out mounds to my children during trick or treating. But if you're that family, if you handed out to children almond joys and mounds, I think well, we I have think to you these got them because they just come in like the big variety pack. But that's always like, so if you're talking about Halloween candies, it was always like, I loved like the bottle caps. I don't even think they make oh, those. Yeah, anymore. random like Wonka candies. Yeah. Yeah, it's like bottle caps were good. I always liked, uh, I guess, well, I guess it's really the same as a Crunch Bar, but like the Hershey's version, but like Crackles and Mr. Good Bars, just because at the time, like, I don't think you can buy, I don't think, I still don't think you can buy a full-size Crackle. They only sell them in the mini, like, mix size. And then the Mr. Good Bars, you can occasionally find a Mission Good Bar, but it's like, I like those just because you couldn't get them anywhere else. Do you know what I think is good uh, at Halloween? That is, I mean, you can get it whenever you want, but I never ever would think about it. A hundred grand. Oh, Those are yeah. so good, but like I never want are... one. Yeah. So hundred grand is, I like hundred grand more. Like given the choice between the two, I would definitely take the hundred grand over like the Almond Joy. But similarly, it's like, yeah, I, I can't remember I, the last time I saw a full size. Full of toenails over the Almond Joy. <laughs> And I wouldn't um, even hesitate. The uh, not a big Three Musketeers fan. Um, to me, Three Musketeers like, is like the I, cereal I one more. Yes, it's like I'm. It's like this. I ate this, but this didn't. This was not candy. It was just what like, I I'm did like. Air. Though the three, the Three Musketeers, you can get like it's almost a seductive experience because you can like bite off all of the chocolate around the fluffy nougat, whatever it is. And then mm. you're just left with the nougat bar. 
and it's gross and you mostly just throw it away after that. But there's something about like peeling off that whole bar of chocolate and trying to get it in like one full peel with your teeth. That's an experience that I think people need to need to experience. The one of the weirdest things is if you go and I don't know if this is an urban leisure, how they screwed up, but it was like, if you go to other countries that Milky Ways are three musketeers and it feels like they fake news. They don't. So the Milky is like they screwed up on the packaging or something. So if you go to any, basically like any other country, if you go buy Milky Way and bite into it, you are going to get a three musketeers. We need, we need some of our, our friends to confirm this. And like, Okay. Did I not live in another country? You li- just I don't, maybe they don't have chocolate in Africa, Jeff. I don't. But they do no, have chocolate I don't in believe Ukraine. this. I, I mean, so, I could so, see that. Yeah, this is some like Russian spinoff of a Milky Way. No, sure, no, no, no. but like I don't think that you could unilaterally say this is a worldwide problem. This feels Milky like a Putin way. problem. Um. Yeah. So there's. No, this is Milky just way. this is Putin propaganda that just trickled into Ukraine. I don't think no. this is real. You can Google this. The oh, here's. I'm going to look, Google it. Even right here on Reddit on today, I learned even. So that's how you know it's real. The U.S. version of European Milky Way is called Three Musketeers in the U.S., whereas the European version of the U.S. Milky Way is called Mars in Europe, which I can confirm. So yeah, and they have so actual like Mars bar, which I haven't seen a Mars bar in the U.S. in forever. But if you, a Mars bar in Europe is what a Milky Way is here, and a Milky Way in Europe is what a Three Musketeers bar is here, and that makes more sense because they should just be flipped. Because the Milky Way, like a, 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 a Three Musketeers, why is it Three Musketeers? There's only there's chocolate and the nougat. That doesn't make sense. It's like there's only two things there, and it's like all light why and fluffy. That should be Milky Way. I don't know, but the Three Musketeers is who knows how it works because it's for. chocolate, nougat, and caramel. You got three things going. That's what was the original thing, and then they like messed up the packaging or something, and. They messed up the packaging forever. No, I don't buy this. They, that was that's the rumor, but why it is, but it's still there. Um, I don't get so, butterfingers anytime. Other, I have one right here, I'm sitting on my desk. A butterfinger. Oh, that's a Halloween, Halloween candy to me. It used yes. to be like an everyday candy, but now it's a Halloween candy. Yes. Do you remember another thing that I skipped Halloween, and then you couldn't really find them anywhere, but now they got more popular? Is uh, what they call them like where were they? Chico sticks. Do you remember those? those? basically those yeah, I know those. those it's are literally just it's the inside of a butterfinger with no chocolate. Is that what it That's is? Like all it is. Yeah, it's I don't know. There's something like about the them. Thing. I can't do it. But they used to. I used to remember getting many ones of those in Halloween, and you could never see them in a store anywhere. Huh. No, but I think now they sell them some places. Uh, uh, I saw right. in my kids' stuff, and this is the greatest. Oof, am I ready to say this? I think I'm ready to say this. The greatest American innovation is the nerd cluster. Oh, dude. The nerd clusters are unbelievable. Elite. And they now come in little fun size, trick or treat size. And so that was a happy little surprise for me. Here's, here's some advice. If you are listening 23 minutes and 26 seconds into this thing where we have yet to talk about anything related to this actual show. And frankly, I don't know if I want to, this could be the whole yeah. show. I don't know if you should go through your, kids halloween candy tell them that you are going to bag it up and you're going to put it in some baggies like gallon size bags or whatever to help keep it fresh 
you know, really, because you don't, you want to pace them a little bit, right? You don't want them to eat till they're sick for like three days in a row. Sure. Uh, they won't be bouncing off the walls. That is the sugar makes you hyper thing is a myth that has been based off of one study that one guy did of his own kid and it got published in a magazine. Everyone believed it. And there've been like dozens of attempts to replicate it. And it is not real. It's like the MSG gives, makes you sick from in Chinese food. It's not real. Um, the it's all in your head. They, but take all of the non Halloween branded candy like without the witches and the goblins and stuff just you know those regular plain old reese's peanut butter cups single cups whatever that you get the fun size candy bars put those off to the side hide them from your children and now santa claus and the easter bunny have plenty of stocking stuffers that you can just throw back in those stockings and you are good to go wow wow in this economy jeff Wow. In this economy, uh, I'll tell you what my uh, my boss does, and, and and I think there's lots. There's like the the switch witch. I think is what some people will say. He does the great pumpkin. Have you ever heard of this? I'd never heard of it, but then no. once he told me, there was like a hundred different variations of it. The great pumpkin is sort of like Santa Claus, but he wants candy. So you go trick or treating, you get all of your candy, and then you donate not not donate you're trading in that candy for a gift that is similar in value of the candy not like actual dollar value but like if i have a hundred pieces of candy and i'm willing to give 75 of them to the the great pumpkin i'm doing so with the thought process that i'm giving away three quarters of my candy i'm going to get something pretty good from the great pumpkin you leave it on the porch, and then the great pumpkin comes, takes up your candy, and leaves a gift for you as a thank you for leaving him the requisite amount of candy. So that's what my my boss does, and then he brings all of the candy into work because he doesn't want his kids to, like, they're very healthy people. So they don't eat any of the candy. Well, they try not to, and they try to, like, really bribe their kids to give all of the candy to the great pumpkin so that they can get something really cool. I mean, that's another way to do it. You don't have to take the candy into work. Obviously you could then just have all of the candy to yourself. Uh, yes. I also, I tried, uh, for the first time doing pulling the dad tax card. Yeah. How'd that go? Um, my three-year-old ran into the pantry and grabbed something and said he was taking the baker tax. <laughs> he just took some, he took something off the shelf. It was like, if you're taking mine, I'm taking yours. Baker is Baker's an interesting boy. I saw him and how he pees today. That, uh, yes, he, uh, he been... doesn't he doesn't stand. Just... He doesn't sit. He soars. Yes, it's, he's big into the Superman, laying laying face down, <laughs> slam dunking on the toy. Before this, though, he actually used to fit. And it's funny because he started doing this on his own, and then. There's actually a South Park episode where I think it's Cartman does the, or no, it's Butters, I think does the same thing. He would go to the bathroom facing the tank. Mm. And because usually he's like, have a toy, be playing with something, and just be like, I have to go to the bathroom. So he'd run in and he would just climb straight up on because then it's easy because <laughs> whatever you're holding, you could just put on the tank. It actually makes and perfect then, sense. And then like the handles right there, you don't have to awkwardly reach behind you or whatever. And so when he's done, he just flushes. 
and then scoots back off. So there's <laughs> he started doing that. And then I saw a TikTok clip like a week later. There's a South Park episode where they find out that Butters does the same thing, and he's like, "Yeah, because I have like a stand there, so I can like put my phone, like put my iPad on it, and then like the handle's right there. And if I'm like eating something, like a snack, I can, you know, it's like it's like a sitting at a table. <laughs> it's like this, he's this whole thing. And then they're like, "Wait a minute, you're not weird. This is actually genius. It makes perfect and, sense." And I was, you know, I was like, "Dude, maybe have I been going to the bathroom wrong my whole life?" Yeah. And then right as I was contemplating this we switched up and now we only go do the superman potty is what it is called now at our house he only does the superman interesting stuff there is a football game there's actually a lot of things going on there's a lot of byu things we could talk about today now we're a half oh, hour yeah. into this we can uh yeah so you had uh you had covid last week so you were man like almost we a year planning. to the day yeah, we were planning on recording, and the one night that we had set aside, you were like, "Dude, I, I'm, I'm wrecked." It was like your peak day of COVID, and then on Friday, my uh, daughter had a not a tonsillectomy; he was actually a tonsillotomy. That's what they wow. call it. It's a little different. So it's instead of cutting them fully out, they just like burned them off with a laser, and the recovery is supposed to be a lot better. And by cool. better. Uh, she had it done at, you know, eight thirty in Friday morning, and the last time she took any painkillers was four p.m. on Friday afternoon. And she's fine. I wonder what that's like for oh. adults, because I've always wanted to get my tonsils out. So my sister had hers out last year, and she said it was the most painful thing of her life. That's what I've heard. So I that's think, why I, I still have. I think that it. I mean, she had the, them fully like cut out, cut out. Um, there, if you do the laser thing and burn off, part of the reason it's easier is because like, since you're not fully cutting it all the way out, you're not like cutting through whatever, like the main blood supply is. So there's not like a huge scab. It's just like you're burning it down and there's like a 5% chance that they grow back. So it's probably going to be less, uh, painful as an adult. Um, but that was since she, she just snored like an old man. So that's why she said she's not sleeping good. So they did. And so the doctor was like, oh, she's not getting sick all the time. Like we don't need to cut them fully out. And there's like only a 5% chance that they'll grow back at all. And then even less of a chance that they'll grow back to be like big enough to bother you. So um, she, but it's not like she was getting, you know, strep five just, times a year. I get like sick that. all the time. I'm just ready to like take them, take them away. I did. I asked my daughter, I said, uh, I was like, Hey, you know, your aunt, she had them out last year and she thinks she said it was like the most painful thing that's ever happened to her. Like, do you think she's a wuss or what? And my daughter said, uh, I just think they don't have very good doctors in Idaho. Wow. And, wow. Uh, which the, she might be onto something there. Not wrong. I mean, yeah. That, uh, you know, that, that was the level of care at Phoenix children's is probably a little bit better than whatever they got in Idaho Falls. Maybe. Um, Idaho but, Falls is nice though. Yes. I'm shout pro, out to pro uh, Idaho Falls. You're pro Idaho Falls. Yeah. The I didn't learn uh from uh I didn't learn that apparently Idaho Falls is like the high school rivalry there is like a, a big deal. It was like Sports Illustrated did a thing about it that it was like one of the top fifty rivalries in American high school sports. There is something two of the high schools and it, there's something to be said about that. I mean, there's still like that small town feel, like that West Texas feel. I mean, it's not quality of West Texas high school football, but there is some like small town camaraderie, you know, 
Yeah. So I mean, do that. Or the flip side of the small town. So my, uh, my nephew is a senior right now and he, like they are about to on track to win their like sixth straight state championship and three wow. a in Idaho. And he told my sister that it's not even that fun this season because <laughs> they are winning all of their games, like 42 to three. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, he doesn't get to play most of the second half. The other teams are so bad. that It's like, that it's just like, it's not very fun. He's like, I wish it was a little more stressful than, you know, I think their quarterback averages like four attempts a game because they just run the ball down everyone's throat. Nobody can stop them. Um, But there is football things going on. Uh, There was a football game on Saturday. Yeah, and uh, I think there was. I've heard allegations that there was a football game, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that we can actually say that it definitely happened. Yeah. Um, There's a lot to unpack from that game. Uh, Really, it's not mostly to unpack, but just really thinking about like fans and and how they react to that game. Like this, like Texas is back for realsies. Like, I guess I know a lot of people are like, why is Texas getting picked number one of the Big 12? Like, there's a reason why they went in to Tuscaloosa and curb stomped Alabama. There yeah. is a reason why the only game they've lost this season is to another top 10 team at a neutral site on the last play of the game. And a rival. Like, it's not like even just like some run of the mill top 10 team. It's like, no, like. Uh, BYU and Utah State played a lot of close games because that was the big deal, right? For Utah right. State, that was the—I mean, Oklahoma, Texas—that's the big deal for those two schools. And if you look at, you know, games like, well, even okay, look at the national championship last year. TCU was playing in the national championship, and they got wrecked, right? Absolutely destroyed. Give up sixty-six points or whatever to Georgia, and you could tell they were just in a different class of yeah. game. Yeah. And they were playing a different game at a different speed. Yeah. Against the Bulldogs. And that's what we saw on Saturday. So I honestly like I don't put a lot of stock into it. If you're looking at and saying, like, you know, trying to say like the offensive line played worse or they're not getting any better unless you're going back and do it. Well, that's another conflict. If you base all of your judgments, I've really like become more even keeled after losses uh just because once you have the realization that like if you are basing your judgments based on what you watch in the game in real time without going where you're just watching the ball the entire time and you are not going back and actually reviewing what you saw with an eye to actually understand what you saw then you're not qualified to opine on what the problem is Right. And so there's, you know, I mean, if you're obviously like, if you are someone, you know, you're not watching something specifically, like you're like, oh, I'm only watching for the next two drives. I'm only going to watch the offensive line. Then, yeah, things will stick out to you. Right. But if you're just like heat of the moment watching the game as a fan, you're watching the ball the entire time. That's it. Right. And so you can't. But so even then, though, with the offensive line. Yeah, obviously did not play great, but uh, they're not going to face a front a defensive line that is better than what they saw on Saturday all season. 
So will I be somewhat shocked if we come out and have our best rushing game of the year on Saturday against West Virginia? No, because we just, like I don't take any literally nothing that happened on Saturday do I think reflects at all on what the rest of the season can or cannot look like because we saw it on like literally the first punt of the game. We don't have like you look at it, Xavier worthy and what he did and we are not worthy. No, he was different, man. I mean, and I, and I think I agree with most of that for sure. I think that uh, I'll, I'll go. I think we're, we'll get to the same spot. We'll take a little bit of a different path to get there. For me, it's hard if you're basing your the offensive line is one thing because the offensive line has struggled for eight games. And so, yeah, like if you're looking at the aggregate of eight games and your conclusion is the offensive line stinks, I have no dispute. Oh, yeah. If you're only reacting based on what you most recently saw, then it's like, well, okay. And that's yeah. where like well, the I used to say- thing kind of comes into to play for me. Yeah, so I guess we're saying from like the week before where it's like, oh, we looked good for a half against Tech and then kind of like took our foot off the pedal where it's like, oh, we saw what the offense could do and we took a step back. I guess I'm just saying yeah, I don't no. think we necessarily took a massive step. We didn't take a step back. It's just we played somebody who's a hell of a lot better than yeah. Texas Tech. Yep, I, I completely and, agree. And, and Keaton Slovis is hurt. Uh, I don't think this is the first time that he – this is not the first time he's been banged up this season. Um, it was – tweeted out this morning by a uh, daily universe student reporter who quickly deleted it and yeah, is probably going to find out the hard way uh-huh. that you got to uh you have to be mindful of when you do things like that and share massive injury news uh that you know keaton slovis and darius lastner will not be playing um now could slovis probably go Yes, but I think we've it's not so cut and dry of oh he's hurt, put the backup in. And we saw this last year against Notre Dame too. It's like you have to decide, okay, at what percentage of Keenan Slovis is better than Jake Retzlaff? The same thing you saw, like what percentage of Jaron Hall is better than Jacob Conover? And we saw last year that like was like 65% Jaron Hall they felt was better than hundred percent Jacob Conover, and that number may have been true down to like 10 percent 11 yeah i mean but then also balancing like okay now we are into the last four regular season games where you yeah. can start red stuff for the rest of the season without burning a red shirt and you, you could say well we just play him to figure out what you have okay but if you played him last week and you burned his red shirt and you end up having something then you probably really would like to still have that come 2026 and have him right. only play, you know, 24 and 25 and be done. I, or I guess he only has two years to play. So 23 and 24, you'd like to have him in 2025. If you have something, you want to keep him. And so it's, so this from what I've heard though, this is uh, Slovis is truly hurt. And uh, the plan you know, could Retzlaff come out and play? We got to figure out if it's Retzlaff or Retzloff, because in my head I say both, and I don't know what's the right one. But in if it, it could Retzlaff come out and play and go for like 400 yards and play out of his wine and and absolutely win the job, yes. But from what I hear, Slovis is truly hurt, 
And the thought is he'll be back next week. So I don't think, and could I be wrong? Of course I could, because the next time you believe anything that you hear about injuries from BYU, don't. Because up until game time, like none of them are being real. Like it's all just smoke and mirrors. And occasionally you get wind of something and you're pretty accurate with it. And ballsy move by that student reporter to tweet it out. Like good for him. Not so ballsy to immediately delete it. Like if you're going to be a reporter, hey, own it. Like nobody's going to be mad at you for reporting truth. Uh, So that's your job. So like own it if you're going to do it. But also, like, if you want to, like, maintain sources and connections and access, then you got to kind of walk that line a little bit. Sucks, but it's just the way that it is. Uh, but anyway, I, I, all of that is to say I, I think that Slovis is really, truly hurt, and I think that the plan would be for him to be back and healthy for Iowa State next week. I think and that's he, the plan from really, what I've heard. He may not fully be healthy because, I mean, he's gotten – he got up slow against SUU on, like, the second drive of the game when and he threw that interception he took, rocked, and he's – and against Arkansas, he took a big hit. He took some of the beauty. biggest hits I've seen a quarterback take against Texas, and he just kept getting up. Like yeah. I and honestly thought he, he was dead. Kind of held his shoulder a little bit. Um, I, I think but, we need to take this moment, Garrett, to really commend Eden Slovis. Like, forget his stats and his play, because everybody can have their opinion on him, uh, and, and we're we're all going to disagree a little bit. Like whether you're high, whether you're low, like I don't think anybody's right or wrong. Like at the end of the day, yeah, he's had some really sucky moments. He's played really good. There's been a whole myriad of other problems on offense. Like we could sit there and have the same conversation and song and dance and rah rah rah. But we're 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 not gonna do that. But nobody can deny how damn tough Keaton Slovis is because yeah. that dude has been taking a beating all year long and he just keeps getting back up and slinging the rock and so kudos to keaton slovis for that and really doing that for a school that six months ago he probably well however many months ago he didn't care about byu was nothing to him he's come in in one year and has played with so much heart and toughness that byu fans like i've seen comments of like good i hope he never plays another snap like go to hell, you guys! Because you can hate yeah. him, like you cannot want him on the field. But this dude is a BYU Cougar through and through, and he has gone through it in the name of repping BYU. And like the dude deserves all of our praise for that. So yeah, one hundred percent agree. Um, so I think what we are seeing is where it finally has come, and I. You know, you look the first couple of games this season and then the last few games really since like the Kansas game and he hasn't gotten sacked a ton this season, he hasn't, but he's got, he's been taking a lot of hits and that and, run or that the, hit, the hits that he's taking are big hits. Yeah. And that hit that he had on the run towards the end zone where he got flipped up, you know, head over tea kettle right at the goal line. He didn't make it. And ultimately, BYU didn't score that drive. And like, this is not to say anything about the play of like the quality of play of BYU on that drive or in that game. But in that game that was over at that point, that BYU had shown no offensive life really whatsoever, and that really any realistic hope of winning was gone. Keaton Slovis, a fifth year senior in his third, I guess a sixth year senior in his third school went out and 
he was going balls to the wall trying to get into the end zone. Like that dude's so tough. Like hell yeah, Keaton Slovis. Like you're a dude. I don't know if BYU is going to be able to play better with or without you on the field. And like we'll find out and we'll opine and we'll talk about it. We'll do all that stuff. But that dude's damn tough and he deserves so much praise, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's kind of similar back to like 2012 when it's like Riley Nelson. It's like, dude, that's that's on the staff. Like Riley Nelson, I want a quarterback who wants to be on the field so bad that yeah. he will play with a broken back. Yeah. But yeah. it's not the 21 year old kid, or I guess Riley Nelson, in his case, it's not the 47 year old returned missionary's job to take himself out. That's the staff's job. And I, I talked in, with Riley not that long ago. Oh, yeah? He no longer has the locks. He's looking more, mm. not quite my level of hair, but looking a little bit closer to my hair. That's no hair. Um, but he's still, he's such a good dude. He's such a salt of the earth guy. And he is. That is good. You can see, like, just talking to Riley Nelson, anybody who's ever had a chance to just talk to him, you can see why BYU played so hard for him when he was on the field. Yeah, he he'll be the first to tell you like how limited he was athletically, and maybe he wasn't the best. Like he's realistic about who he was, but nobody wanted it more than that guy, and the rest of the team responded to it. And I think that Keaton Slovis had a lot of that same fire, but the team didn't respond. And I think, yeah. frankly, that's a bigger indictment on everybody else. And I think that that's a bigger indictment on this season like a better explanation for why things have gone the way they have on offense because Keaton Slovis is laying it out all on the field like Riley Nelson did the difference is I don't think his teammates are responding to Keaton Slovis's effort the same way that BYU's teammates did or that Riley Nelson's teammates did at BYU back in 2012. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, because if you just go down the list, and we kind of talked about this in our game thread on Saturday, if you think of like who on this team, or I guess on the offense, which, I mean, the offense is not good to the point where people think that this defense is amazing when the defense is actually not that much better than they were last year. They're just getting turnovers is really the only difference. But they are not, uh, I mean, they gave up, what how for however 35 points last week 47 points whatever to tcu like they're not exactly playing amazing it's just the offense is not really helping them um but they but if you look at the defense or the offense i mean like who on this offense you're like oh that dude is mean he's a dog or like he has confidence in the way he plays yeah slovis i don't know if slovis feels super confident uh but he's also like a pretty quiet like he's he's a lead by example guy he's not you know he's not the dude who like someone misses a block and you know you'd see like you know someone like a a brett Favre like grabbing someone by the face mask and yelling at them to do their job or whatever he's not there's nobody like that on this offense but even like chase roberts quiet dude lassiter he plays with a little bit of swagger but also there's kind of when you're the new guy who showed up in july it's kind of a little bit different to just show in and like walk and come in like you own the place. Uh, but I mean, like Keanu Hill, not that guy. Cody Epps has been hurt and hasn't even played all season. Glad we freaked out about that when he entered the portal in February. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you 
you know, Isaac Rex, not that guy. You look at the offensive line and it's like, yeah, Pay's been a starter for that year, but it's like, you don't see him on the sideline getting after other dudes. It's like, we have just a lot of like, there's nobody who's just like. Waylon. I think Waylon Wajo is that guy. Yeah. But he's young. But like He's the youngest young. guy on the offensive line. And yeah. It's, I agree. It's his first year in the I program. Think, and yeah, I think that so many of the guys that are that type of dude are young. Harrison Taggart, watch him on kick coverage. Like, like that Harrison's dude's that guy. Ciala Sarah's that guy. Like, he like loves they, it. They play ball because they love ball. And, and yeah, and he doesn't have enough. The seniors, that. the upperclassmen who are supposed to be the leaders of the team, just that the attitude isn't there. And even maybe on offense, it's just like the talent is there. So, if, even if you looked at like, okay, so I think we can agree that Chase Roberts is the best player in the wide receiver room. We agree on that. Uh, or Lassiter, but yeah, I mean, one and okay. one A and one B, I think this year. If they were in the Texas wide receiver room, yeah, they're not. What playing. number would they be? Right. Yeah, they would. They are at best Parker Kingston level reps. I think so, right? And, and, and that's just, some of that's just natural talent, right? And and, and so there's is. not anybody who is good enough to in the receiver room, there's not anybody who's good enough to demand a double team. Cause obviously the, a lot of the receivers saw them last year, but it's like everyone was moved. They were planning their defense. Their past defense was planned around stopping Puka. There was nobody that they have to plan around stopping because they're nobody. I mean, they're fine. Yeah. But and we, and we talked about that. We talked about it all off season that it was, I really like BYU's room. They've got five, but I think really got a caliber wide receiver twos. But they don't have a wide receiver one, and can you get away with wide receiver twos? Like we hoped so, but well, we hope someone to it for it. I don't. I don't feel like anyone's taking a step forward because even I looked at this because I pulled up and I maybe I don't know if you saw this. I shared this on Discord. I looked at PFF of the the passing. So if you look, go on PFF, you can see the passing distribution of like the completion percentage, the QB rating. Um, or the passer rating, sorry, then like the yardage, touchdowns, interceptions for the split it of like left side of the field, the right side of the field between the numbers. And then they do like behind the line of scrimmage, zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 plus yards. And we are throwing behind the, the line of scrimmage, like the screens and stuff, like the short throws, we are throwing as many of them as we did with Jaron Hall and Zach Wilson the last three years. Yeah. But compare this year to last year, with the same number of attempts per game, the receivers last year averaged two and a half yards more per attempt for Jaron Hall than they did from Slovis. So is that Slovis is like just a little bit slower? So they're not like, you know, they're having to wait longer because the ball's not getting there as fast. Maybe I don't know. I haven't pulled out a stopwatch to time it, but also we're Gunnar Romney and Pukunukua really good at making one guy miss and turning something in from a two yard gain into a six yard gain. Yeah. And that's a big difference. That's what we saw with Chris Brooks last year. We saw with Tyler Algier is those where we're getting in the run game this year, we're getting stuffed for a loss of a yard or a two yard gain where they broke a tackle and fell forward and got four yards instead of two. And that's those, that little bit just adds up play after play after play to where, you know, you do that. Now you're looking at second and six, you do it again. Now you're at third and two instead of third and six where you're third and long in a passing down and when your chances of converting are very low. And yeah. so that's, and the, and so I think that's just those little things where it's maybe why the offense has felt like it's close to clicking, but it's just, there's nobody who is consistently 
making the first guy miss or breaking that first tackle and falling forward and getting good positive yards. And that's what we've been used to seeing. And I was, you know, last I was capping last Saturday night watching the Arizona Oregon State game. I looked and I'm like, well, shoot. Okay. Like Tatero McMillan for Arizona. Like, okay. He's basically built, he and Chase Roberts are kind of clones of each other, but it's like, Hey, Jacob Cowing and uh what's his face lamonius craig who we were on out of the portal hoping he chose arizona over byu coming out of the portal from colorado like uh they were they would both be better than as good as lassiter at worst and then probably a little bit better than him it's like okay all those dudes and then even the running backs you looking at the running backs and you say i'm like okay well all three of the dudes that they're running run harder and are downhill and are decisive and putting their foot in the ground and quicker than anything we've seen this season for many of our top three running backs. And so it's just, there's something that's different and it feels like it's just an attitude thing. And whether that's, you know, got to be player inspired because they're not responding to Slovis, like you said, or, you know, how much of that is supposed to be coaches firing up. I'm kind of of the belief that it's like, yes, these are kids and, you know, they're in college, whatever, but also you can't be externally. I almost said extrinsically. You can't be externally motivated. It's got to come like intrinsic where you're just like, you got to want it and get after it and have that attitude. And the players have to drive that for themselves and each other. And you, I mean, I don't know how much a coach is supposed to be the one getting you fired up. And if you're dependent on your coach to fire you up, you have some other problems, at least from every team I ever played on my entire life. Yeah. I don't know. I I agree with that. The players, I think, they have to of course they have to want it more uh it is a coach's job to get that out of players i mean i think it can be a collective failure right like i think that coaches if you've lost the ability to get your guys up that's on you to figure that out or it's time for a new voice if you're a player and you're numb to what your coach is saying and you can't get yourself up that's on you and it's time to move on right i mean so i think that there's I don't know. There's a lot of blame to go around. Especially if you're talking like you've been in the program for a long time, there's, it's very rare that somebody has the same position coach for the entirety of their college career. I've wanted to talk about this thing. Cause it's usually, I mean, even like when we talk about like, Oh, Jeff Grimes, right? Like, has he lost it at Baylor? This is like, okay. His career 95. He was at rice. 96, 97 at GA, uh, 98, 99 at Hardin Simmons, one year at Boise State, three years at Arizona State, three years at BYU, two at Colorado, four years at Auburn, one year at Virginia Tech, three years at LSU, three years at BYU, now his third year at Baylor. He's never, other than Auburn, he never saw a class go from start to finish to, which really you need like almost five years because by the you get hired that first class that you're working with is not your guys right because they it's you got hired after the early signing day but like a class that he pulled in and saw them go start to finish he has never seen and he's considered yeah. like you know he's a guru right and so it's i think that is i mean this is what i wanted to hit on in a few different forums um i've talked about it before and we talked about it I think on this show in terms of Elias Tuyaki last year, but I think that this can apply to anybody. 
Okay. Are there freak guys like Brett Venables was that can be a defensive coordinator and have a consistent voice at Clemson up until he left to go be a head coach, right? Like he was consistently very, very good. Yes, there are. There are exceptions to this statement. I don't need to hear who they are. I, I know that exceptions exist. By and large, I think that coordinators and position coaches have a shelf life of three years. That either in with after three years, they should be moving up or they are on their way out. And maybe it's three to four years. But I think that's the shelf life of a of a coordinator. I just think that a healthy program is changing coordinators every three to four years on both sides of the ball. I, I think that's about what it is. Yeah, is, could there be a Norm Chow that comes through BYU and is willing to stick around and blah, blah, blah? Sure. Are there Robert and I's that are career offensive coordinators that are just consistent wherever they show up? Yes. Those are exceptions. But I think generally speaking, three to four years, it's kind of the shelf life of a coach. They've got to find a new program. And I think Jeff Grimes bears that out. I think if you look at what happened with Tuiaki, like, yeah, those first three, four years, it was a very different defense. And then he had to kind of reinvent himself to be successful, and it didn't work. So if you have to reinvent yourself, why don't you just go find somebody who knows who they are already, but they're different? I just think that the voices you start to lose impact after three or four years. I, I just, and, and at BYU, maybe that gets extended a little bit because of missions, but in, in my head, like it's just so hard to consistently be a coordinator for, for longer than three or four years without a change of scenery, change of everything where you can change your approach, change how you talk. Your you know, your, your motivational tactics still are new. They don't ring hollow to anybody. I think that's kind of what it is. And it I don't be, know. I mean, it might be true, but even then it's like when you're talking about just really, you know, the makeup of the entire staff, because even right. So, I mean, cause you think of Norm Charles there forever, but Roger French was the offensive coordinator until like, I think 96 was Chow's first year actually as the offensive coordinator with that's that true. title calling the plays. I mean, how much, I mean, how much they collaborated, whatever, but the, you still had all of the other guys who were moving out. Like you still had assistants yeah. who were younger guys that got hired. They were there for two or three years and then they moved out and then you it got just, a new tight end coach. Cause he got a quarterback coaching yeah. job or an OC job at a smaller school. It was, you can have like one staple, but the entire staff working together. I mean, a lot of times it's just, you become predictable because every time a new guy comes in, he's going to have his own little flair of stuff that he does off of whatever tree he comes from that you're grafting in. And I don't, yeah, it maybe feels like maybe there's not enough new things because everyone else, it's all what we've, everything we've done is on film or you're trying to do something that maybe you've never seen done before. Cause you're trying to mix it up and it, which is yeah. I heard from a player this year that they tried to change up some stuff in the run scheme and it's like, okay, but if they're just making it up and trying to implement it themselves and it's like, trying to invent it from scratch that's you're gonna have a really hard time doing that i i look at like the safety room this year and okay ed lamb we've given him a hard enough time in you know the give him hell brigham family and he deserves it it was not pretty but ed lamb knows ball right like he's a fine football coach he's 
got guys to the NFL. He's had success. He's respected. He's all of these things. And from a pedigree standpoint, like his resume is not all that different than what Jay Hills is. And at the end of the day, especially the safety position, like football is football. Like, yeah, there's different play calls and there's different assignments, but like the technique of how to be a successful safety doesn't vary that much from coach to coach. So how is it that Jay Hill is somehow with all the injuries that are happening, getting pretty solid production out of guys like Ethan Slade and, and crew Wakely. I don't think that that Ed lamb would have got this kind of production out of crew Wakely and Ethan Slade. I just don't, I don't, I don't think that's realistic to think that he would have. So what's different. Well, it's a new voice. Jay Hill's a new voice. Like think of how excited you get as a fan when there's a new coach standing there at the podium, giving a press conference, talking about his philosophy. Like at the end of the day, like go back to Robert and I, like BYU fans everywhere were just jacked about go fast, go hard. It sounded cool. We bought into it. It was exciting. At the end of the day, now we can look back and it's like, yeah, that first year of go fast, go hard was kind of a mess. It didn't really work. He had to refine it. And and we can poke holes through it. We can talk about what we liked and didn't like and blah, blah, blah. But when it was new and it was fresh, man, like fans were pumped about it. Like we were all excited for go fast, go hard. Players are that same way. Players need new voices to come through the program. And even if they're saying the same things, like I don't think what Jay Hill is telling his safeties is dramatically different from a technique standpoint, right? Like the technical aspect of playing safety. I don't think it's going to be that much different than what Ed Lamb said, but it's a different voice. It's a different delivery method. And I think guys are responding to it better. And and I think that that's kind of where the BYU offense is right now. A lot of, a lot of continuity on that staff and continuity seems like a good thing, but I think there's got to be some new voices in the room uh, at some point, because I just, uh, th- you look at the effort on this team. P- people asked me earlier this week, uh, earlier this week, like Jeff, how did you and all of your peers in the media and the coaches get it so wrong when they said that this offensive line was deep and talented? How were you so wrong? I don't think we were from a talent standpoint, like Kingsley's still going to go in the NFL. Maybe it's not the first round, but I don't think it's going to be past day two. Like at the latest, it's going to be the second or third round because he still has all the talent in the world. He needs to, you know, have a little bit more effort and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but he's still insanely talented. Connor Pay still has talent. Paul Miley still has talent. Like this offensive line is still talented, but it's it's the effort side of things that has has fallen off. And could that be coaches? Yeah. Could it be players? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think these coaches. I just think that they need a new voice. I think that's what's happened. Daryl Funks, this is his third year in the program. And I think that it's just time for a new voice. I don't think that Daryl Funks a bad coach. I don't think that he's been a failure or anything like that. I don't think any of that, but I think that it's time for a new voice at the offensive line. I think it's a new time for a time for a new voice with the running back room. Like, I don't think Harvey Unga is a bad coach, but he's been at BYU forever, right? He's been a GA forever, and then he was a, the running back coach after A.J. Stewart left. He's been there forever. I think these guys, they, they need new voices. They need more excitement, a different kind of excitement when they start talking about running the football. And I think that that's what's problem. the problem is right now for BYU is that the voices that are trying to get this offense going 
aren't resonating with players because these players have been around forever. They've heard these voices. They've heard it all. And it's just sort of, you're going through the motions. And I think that's what's happened, but we're here. It's West Virginia week. All of this. I think BYU beats West Virginia. I don't know. Jake Retzloff. Everybody's talking about it now that like he's playing sure. Sounds like that's the case. We've heard that's the case, but like all of that is great. Uh, I don't know if Jake Retzloff is the long-term answer, but there's not an ounce of film on him that West Virginia is going to be able to use to prepare for. And he's different than Slovis. Like he's not Jaron Hall, but he's different than Slovis. So that gives BYU a little bit of an advantage. I, I will also BYU say wins. he was the number one Juco quarterback last year. Being the number one Juco quarterback in the year of our Lord, 2023, is nowhere near what that meant in 2010 when Cam Newton came no, out of not, junior college after bouncing back from Florida because he got kicked out of school after he signed with Urban. Here's, and going to here's Auburn. The, the dirty little secret that I maybe shouldn't share. Uh, when I had heard that Jake Retzloff was going to commit to BYU, um, I, I don't even because I don't think his profile had even been finalized yet. And so we hurried and created it. And then I got it over to the evaluators and they gave him a rating. And it happened to be that he ended up being the number one uh, Juco quarterback. But when we gave that rating, it's be there, there just weren't any other Juco quarterbacks. So his rating, yes, number one junior college quarterback, his rating was an 84. That's lower than Noah Lugo who people saw when he flipped from UTSA and it was like, we can't do better than a quarterback from UTSA. Well, that dude from UTSA was rated higher than the number one Juco quarterback last year. And uh, the other offers for brother uh, Retzlaff was, let's see, he had, uh, it was New Mexico state, UTEP and Hawaii. So people, I think they saw the number one Juco and just ran with that and didn't look into anything else. But I do think West Virginia, I am surprised uh, before the season started. I did not think Neil Brown would be coaching this team. That has yep. been a hell of a turnaround for him. But like we just mentioned, he brought in new guys on his staff, even, you know, under Dabo, you still, you always have, you, you know, Venables is there for a long time, but there were the other position coaches. There's some transition. You have new voices coming in. And so he did that and it managed to work. Um, I do think we see a spark this week. We go on the road. It's a night game. It's gonna. We do well uh, those night games. You know how we are about those. And we got a night game the next week against Iowa State. I think we can win this game. West Virginia. I mean, they lost to Houston. It's they're in that middle. I don't know if we are a better team than West Virginia, top to bottom. Uh, but this is a very winnable game because that middle. Once you get past Texas and Oklahoma, there is a whole lot of clustered teams together that you can see where you know we get whooped by tcu then we beat tech handily and then tech whooped tcu tonight like there's a whole lot of circle of suck going on in the middle of the big 12 and i think we can win this game and maybe you know that not having retzloff on film you know the guys maybe responding to just like hey you know we finally got beat down we want to bounce back the same way we did after tcu you know playing well against tech i think i think we can pull this one out and win it um, I'm excited to see some Jojo Phillips. Like, I think you should plan on seeing Jojo Phillips on the field. Um, I don't know if he's going to, I think he's going to be very good. Nobody knows if he's going to be very good, but 
but I know that he's going to play incredibly hard. This dude loves football. Uh, so I'm excited to see some Jojo Phillips. I think you can probably count now that we're into red shirt season. I think you can probably count on seeing a lot of him on offense this week, especially with some of the other injuries that, that exist in that wide receiver room, Lassiter, Keanu Hill, uh, even Chase Roberts. He's not hundred percent. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that will be great. I'm excited for that. I think you might see some Koa Eldridge as well, and I'm kind of excited about that too. I think he has a very Aleva Hifo-like future in the BYU offense, so excited to see those two play a little bit more. And then, uh, let's see, on defense, anyone? So CLA Sarah, they've officially burned his redshirt. They said he's just getting run now. Uh, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else that – they have not pulled the, the red shirt tag off of on defense. Jackson Bowers, you may see some of. He did play a few snaps against SUU, so he only has three games for the bowl game. Um, so maybe see some of him, um, but you won't I, I pick think, one game at least to leave him out. I think you might see some Ace and Micah Kafusi on defense. Um, but beyond that, I don't. I'm not anticipating the defense looking dramatically different. One, there's less injuries on the defensive side of the ball outside of the safety position that just nobody can stay healthy. Uh, but two, I don't think that there's guys just knocking on the door like JoJo because they're already on the field. Harrison Taggart was that guy. Marcus McKenzie, you know, when he's healthy, if he was still healthy, I'd say he would play. Um you know, Harrison Taggart, like those guys are already getting on the field. So those were, in my mind, those were the red shirt candidates that, that they're already there. John Henry Daly yeah. is already playing. I mean, those were the guys that I would have. Yeah. yeah they, and, and it's interesting because you do have, it's, it's almost like the September call-ups in baseball, right? You hope you get really one guy who adds value to your roster. And yeah. then if he's really good, you're going to be like, well, why the hell doesn't we call him up in May? Could we never? You know, but it, it is what it is. Um, and so it's I, I do think we will see Jojo Phillips and you didn't, you know, you expected things to click and you've got, you know, Lasseter and Epps and Hill and Roberts. You got four deep at, of upperclassmen at receiver that you don't need to have Jojo Phillips trotting in as a true freshman to play right away. So you you plan on saving him and then you get that weird middle part of the season where you're like, Oh, actually this ain't working, but you don't want to burn him for two extra the, games. The last thing, here's who I hope we see. I hope, I really, really hope. I want to see Peter Falanico on the field, and I want to see Jake Griffin on the field. Both offensive linemen. I think Jake Griffin at the tackle spot is a tackle of the future. Um, I think he joined in, I think he's been home for a year. Like I think he joined the team last January, so he's not a real recently returned missionary like got home in July. He's been around for a little while, so I think he's ready. I think he could be... Uh, a starting tackle next year. So I, I hope we see some of that. And if Paul Miley can't go, which I don't think Paul Miley is going to go. Nobody's talking about that injury yet, but I, I don't think Paul Miley is going to go this week. I want to see Peter Falanico. I want to see him get some run. Maybe Weston Jones gets in and you get some, I mean, if you got this red shirt year and you've got injury or this red shirt month and you've got these injuries, I want to see some of the guys who who need the reps for next year. Weston Jones is that. Jake Griffin's that. Falanico is that. Uh, Trevin Osler, I think, is that. Jake Icorn. Jake Icorn was baptized on Saturday. I thought he was already. Yeah, was a he the only non-LDS person at Beaver High School? Uh, I think like, so. Maybe. Like honestly, like well, one because there's only like twelve people in his graduating class. But yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but no, I mean, Jake Icorn, I want to see some of these guys. I, I, I do. I want to see some of these guys play. So hopefully we see some of that. If there's going to be injuries, you know, the starting five, which should be the starting five, but like all due respect to our guy, Caleb Etienne. If Paul Miley can't go, I want to see somebody else that's not Caleb Etienne. Well, they're not going to move Caleb Etienne inside the guard. But they yeah. haven't played him there, though. So let's just no, put somebody else no, in It feels like we're going to, he's a guard, so we don't have to think about it. But no, yeah, yeah. that happened, and it's not great. Ugh. But so, yes, it will be, uh, yeah. So it was good episode, good back being in the saddle. I, I feel confident in how we're going to play on Saturday wait, night. Wait, uh, we got one more thing. I know I said let's wrap, but we got one more. Basketball exists. Oh, yes. And Jackson Johnson committed to Utah. Not a huge surprise. He's a Utah guy. Um, it sucked. Like Mark Pope's got to start landing some of these guys. There's a lot of eggs in the Brooks Bar basket. If BYU doesn't land Brooks Bar, then I think you can safely um, worry. I'm already worried. At the end of the here, some somebody very close to the program told me last week that. Uh, they are afraid that the only person at BYU who currently, oh, I'm debating if I should actually say it. The only person who currently responds to Mark Pope, they used a different word. I'm going with response, is Leanne Pope. Everybody else, it's sort of just like, boh. And I know of a recruit that I like a lot that is not going to BYU that said his parents were, you know, yeah, he's kind of got a seminary teacher vibe to him, like that overbearing seminary teacher the first 20 minutes when you walk in that like, we're cool guys, but like doesn't feel real and authentic. That's been some feedback that I've heard from more than one. The seminary teacher specifically came like from the, one, the but I've, I've heard from more. seminar guru. Yeah, just like the, like, it's super exciting and it probably responds really well in a press conference. But uh, the, the feedback I'm getting is that as people get to know him more, it just doesn't feel as real. I don't know if that's fair or not, but the results are that a lot of these recruits, right? Like, uh, I, I, I think, I think it's accurate that basketball's recruiting hasn't been good over the last few years, but neither has the LDS high school recruiting classes. Well, they were pretty damn good this year. And so far BYU's got Isaac Davis. That's it. All the other ones, Kozlowski and Jackson Johnson and Malik Diallo's not LDS, but BYU was, you know, all in on him for a long time. They all went somewhere else. Jake Wallen went somewhere else. Right. And so, okay. Mark Pope, I'm willing to say, like, yeah, the LDS talent wasn't great, so uh, you get a pass, but here's some really good LDS talent, and they're not playing for you. That scares me. So and that's the that. big thing. There hasn't, you know, the, the LDS talent hasn't been there the last few years, and now when there's a really good class, I mean, we will give him credit that he locked down Colin Chandler. Chandler's still in the pipeline. I mean, people are like, oh, he's not going to come back. He's going to flip to Utah. Like, and eh, like there's, he's locked in on BYU right now. As long as Pope is there, he, there was an amazing job. He's the highest rated recruit ever. Right. So it's, yep. it, but the getting it's the healthiest talent. Yeah. But 
we're kind of missing on a lot of the LDS talent. And when there's been a lot of it where historically, like, you know, we would get those guys. And so it's, it's a little, it's dicey. The seat is a little bit warm. Things are a little dicey. It's and dicey. we got, we got to see it. We got to see, we got to see improvement. And, and I, this is a, is a make or break year for him. And it's not NIL. Like I'll say this, like maybe Diallo was sure. So Quez Glover, like I, I doubt, I don't buy into that. It was all NIL. Like the narrative is I've got my own beliefs there. I don't think he really wanted to be at BYU and NIL was a good way to, to get out. Uh, but other things, but with like Jackson Johnson, Brody Kozlowski wasn't NIL. It just wasn't. NIL was not the primary factor in either one of those two making the decisions that they made. So if it's not NIL, then it's all of the old traditional recruiting things. And it's just not going BYU's way. Now, Pope gets Brooks Barr. He's supposed to announce next week, I think on Monday. Brooks Barr's, you know, he's not quite Colin Chandler level good, but he's right there knocking on the door. That could go a long way in silencing some some concerns, but uh, it's got to go BYU's way. There we go. There we go. That's that our basketball show. take for the month. Our 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 monthly basketball take. Uh, maybe we just need to get. Maybe we need to add a second show to the feed, and we can just have some basketball episodes and get. And we'll send Robbie the password. Yeah. And start uploading stuff. Let Robbie do it, or like find some AI bot that can just say something about basketball. Yeah. Um, but this has been a good episode. If you join us on the Discord, head over to gehb.co or givenhelpbrigham.com. Up to you. And uh, come join us. It's a good time. Uh, try not to be, we try not to be too negative, but you know, it's this season has had a lot of downs that people were not hoping for and they got to take their frustrations out somewhere. Um, but it is a good time. It's a great community. Come join us on the Discord. Until next week, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell. <laughs>